wade out here a little bit today. Is everybody ready to wade out here? Amen. We're going to, uh, Lord willing, and we'll see how far we go in this, but we're going to start in the book of Revelation. And we're going to start looking at it. Uh, as time goes on, we may come to different conclusions. We may find new conclusions. We may, you know, we'll just see how far we go. But I'm just impressed to do this. Uh, I guess I've wanted to understand it for years. And sometimes the way it works, well not sometimes, the way it works in the Lord, you'll want to understand things and really to the Lord begins to break them to you, you really won't. That's just the way it is. And uh, the Lord is just, uh, you know, I feel impressed in my heart to go here. I'm seeing uh, some things I've never really fully seen, maybe some things I've believed, but I've never been able to pull them together. And I'm beginning to see. But just to say that, let's start with verse 1. And verse 1 tells a big story to the rest of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we start right there, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so as we approach the book, that should be our thought. What is the book about? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, you, you know, I'm going to repeat that. What should the book be about? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the next thing John writes in particular. Which God gave him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear witness of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written therein. For the time is at hand. John said, in this time when John wrote it, he said, right there, the time is at hand. Now, that's been about 2,000 years ago, or longer, give or take. I don't have all the timelines on, on the apostles, but it's been a long time ago when John said it's at hand. All right? People are preaching right now, it's at hand. Right now. Now, in view of Him, everything's still at hand. If you're, if you're viewing the Lord, He was and is and is to come, so He's, he's, he's at hand now. But, but in understanding what John, many of the things John is talking about, and, and Lord willing, we're going to get into it, we're going to see how far we move and, and, and go this morning. John's book of Revelation, I, I believe, I believe, notice how I said this, is dealing with the transition of Israel and the coming forth of the church. Much like the book of Hebrews. It's a book of transition, a closing out of one covenant 
and the bringing forth of another. And I'm not sure that we can understand it unless we see the, the two covenants, the two men, the, the understanding of the Lord that he had in the cross and, the old, and, and read our Old Testament. Because much of what's said in the book of Revelation, you've got to go back and dig out the Old Testament. So you have to go back and you have to read your Bible, you have to search your Bible. And the good thing with getting in this Hopefully, what it'll do is trigger in you, whether you agree with what I say or you disagree, it'll trigger in you to search the Scripture. That's what I hope to, that, that we gain here as a fellowship and wherever else this is heard, that it'll cause people to search the Scripture. Amen? I was listening to a brother this week, and one thing he said... Uh, profound was he said that very few people read their Bibles. And if we think about it, the way many of us were raised, we would read verses. We would memorize verses. How many ever memorized verses? Nothing wrong with that, right? But a lot of times we would take a verse and even take it out of context because we have a verse of Scripture in our heart. We, don't, we may not know the context of the verse. We may not know the audience, the relevance, anything there, but we, we know the verse, right? And we quote it. But, but the substance of it, and some things we quote correctly, but the substance of it may be a little bit deeper or fuller, however you want to say that, than what we now understand. But John is writing, you, you know, he says, The time is at hand, and John to the seven churches that are in Asia, I'm just going to read on down a, few, a little bit more, Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us and loosed us from our sins by his blood, and he made us to be a kingdom, to be priests unto God his father and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, saith the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And I'm going to stop right there for now. Now I'm going to throw at you, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to throw this at you. When, when John begins to see the vision of the Son of Man, he sees him in the midst of what? Seven golden candlesticks. And he, and he sees seven stars. And there's, there's an image of seven set forth throughout this book, and I think there's also an image of four set forth throughout this book. When you look at this and you see seven golden candlesticks, he gives you, I think, a, a if I could be so bold, a hint. Because he tells you what the seven golden candlesticks mean. So, so he says the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches that John is writing to. 
And the angels are the messengers or ministers of the seven churches. So this book is full of symbolism. Well, guess what else is full of symbolism? Your Bible. If you read your Bible, if and notice this famous word, if you read your Bible, you'll find that it's full of symbolic language all the way through. You'll go in the Old Testament and you'll see where God says He's coming in the Old Testament, just using this for an example, and He will not physically show up. But He comes because what He says is going to transpire, transpires. If you read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible... You won't see that. You just won't. So, 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 like I said, hopefully what we'll get out of this is we'll get into a search and we'll search the Scripture. All right. So, I, I've dealt with a little bit of the name of the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and just, just a couple, couple of Scriptures just to throw out. I uh, won't throw them all out because of time's sake because there's some areas I want to get into. But in Galatians 1, Paul says, and I don't have the verse, but it's in Galatians 1. I believe it's verse 15, 14, 15. Paul says, when it pleased God to separate him from his mother's womb and called him by his grace, the purpose of being separated and called by his grace was to reveal His Son in Him. Not just to Him, but in Him. An inward revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in Ephesians 3, Paul again was speaking about the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And he said, speaking of what had been hid from ages, that the Gentiles and the Jews would be of the same body. No longer separate. Now, just that, if, if God's people got a hold of just that mystery right there, just that, because many of God's people still today have the Jews and the Gentiles separate. Paul said, that the mystery revealed to him was they were of the same body, that they were one, yeah. one body to the Lord. And, and, and I'm going to elaborate on this in a minute, then I'm going to move back in this, and the reason I'm going to elaborate on it is because I feel like it. <laughs> okay? Here's what we do with that. And I grew up with this understanding. I, I, I have a person that comes to my mind when I say this, and I love this person. Dearly, I can't put it in words how much I loved him. And, and I think of him as a, a son of God, a member of the body of Christ. So I, I, I believe firmly the person I've got in my mind is a member of the body of Christ. But, but nonetheless, he was under the impression that old Israel was still God's chosen people. And he would walk around, and at times he'd talk about it, that how Israel was God's chosen people. That was true. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely the truth. Right. Till he came. 
Because the purpose of Israel's choosing was for the seed that was going to come out of Israel. And the seed that was going to come out of Israel was Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came, the purpose was done. That's what people don't understand. When he come, a lot of purposes that were that were purpose, that were true, that were absolutely true, they were fulfilled. They were done. They were complete. Because the purpose of these things was him. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. I've taught on this many times, so we should really understand that. Isaac was pointing to Christ. He was the seed of God. Out of Israel have I called my son, the New Testament reads. Well, that goes directly back to Exodus. And God taking the children of of Israel out of Egypt, well, now it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Out of Egypt have I called my son. So, So if we can hear it, Israel became embodied in Jesus Christ. So he became the embodiment of what God had said to Israel. And so, so now in Christ, and, this, and, and I have to move on or I won't get hardly any word, uh, now in Christ you do not become a seed of God because you are a physical Jew. You become a seed of God because you are born of His Spirit. See, see, and, and you say, look at Nicodemus, the story of Nicodemus and, 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 a, and a very common teaching in Christianity, very profound teaching, a teaching that all Christians know, because they should know if they're Christian, they know it. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. All right? Now, who Jesus said that to was Nicodemus. What's the big deal? Nicodemus was a Jew. So, so, so not only, you, you know, was it for the Gentile, it was for the Jew. That access into the kingdom of God was going to be through new birth. No longer was access going to be just because you were born of Abraham's lineage according to the flesh. Now access was going to be that you were born of the Spirit of God. And, and, and Jesus told Nicodemus that unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. That's what he said. Now he's right. So, so now, now I take this teaching, well, the Jews one day are just going to enter in. Unless they are born again, they won't enter. And Paul says, says the same thing, that God gave access to the Father, to both Jew and Gentile. He gave access through one Spirit. Alright. So that's the access. One Spirit is how we all have access unto God. There's no other way. There's no way you can access God but through one Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And see, see, as I got into 
studying the book of Revelation. I've been reading uh, a, a whole lot this week. I could read a whole lot more, but I've been reading a whole lot. As I got into studying it, and, and Brother Bob, maybe you, you caused this to come up in my mind, so I'll pick on you whether you did or not. It, it come at me, why do this? Why? And it just leapt up in me because He is the victor, because Christ is the victor. That's what. That's what. That's what leapt up in me, that Jesus Christ is the victor. He won. That's why. That's really what left up in me was why. Because I had that thought, you know, because you go down this, this book, this book is, you know, seemingly difficult to understand. You start peeling the onion there, and, and, you know, there's a lot of other places I'm real comfortable teaching, really comfortable. So, so and it just left up in me, Calvin, because he is the victor. And he will show himself to be victorious. The devil is not the victor. The devil doesn't have the authority. He has destroyed him that had the power of death, even the devil. So, so God's people should be walking in victory. Not defeat, but victory. And to the, and maybe why they maybe why many times we don't is we don't see the victor. Right? So when we get back into the book of Revelation, and this is a long introduction, but I'm usually long anyway, so God bless you. John is talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show unto his servants. So John received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And part of this revelation, you know, we talk a lot about Christ in you, and I believe that 150%. But part of this with John was to show things which were coming to pass. This jumped off the page of me this week. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare witness to the word of God, testimony of Jesus. And... And he said, the time is at hand. So what was coming to pass in John's time? Now, if you start studying, looking at history, I'm going to give you, give you a couple things. Some people say John wrote the book of Revelation after 70 A.D. They'll, they'll count up to 80, 88, I think I even saw 80, 90. Other schools of thought says he wrote it before 70 A.D. I'm going to tell you, I probably in the past said afterwards myself. Okay? Whichever one it was, I believe that's exactly what John was speaking of. Now, this is why I say whichever one that was. John turned at one place, said he turned to see the voice. And being turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. So, so however, I believe, according to this scripture up here, John was receiving a, an understanding in regards to Jesus Christ of what was getting ready to transpire. Now flip to 1 John 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, verse 15. 
John writes, this is, and I believe it's St. John, and I don't know if you've studied this out, but some people believe that John that wrote the book of Revelation is not the Apostle John. I don't know if you know that, but some people believe that. I believe it's the Apostle John. Okay? But anyway, 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the vainglory of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, notice verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. King James, I think, says last time. If you look the word up, it means hour. What hour is he talking about? Now, he's saying something here. It's the last hour. It's up on us. And he goes on and says, Have you, And as you heard that Antichrist cometh, even now have there arisen many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last hour. So in John's day, he said there were many Antichrists. Right? In John's day. Not telling you there's not Antichrists out here now. But in John's day, when he was penning this, this work, he said... There are many antichrists among, among us. By this we know, whereby we know it is the last hour. Now why would they know it? Maybe because Jesus said when you see the abomination of desolation, or maybe when, you know, when Jesus said when, you, when they say, lo, here is Christ, or lo, there is Christ, you go not after them. But John said that was happening then. Right then. I don't know if you've ever got a hold of what Brother John said. That we know it's the last hour because there's many antichrists whereby we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they are all not of us, and ye have an anointing from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now I quote this a lot. The anointing that abideth in you shall teach you all things. And I, and I believe that. All right? I believe the Holy Spirit teaches you all things. That, and He reveals all things of Christ. But I want to put this in context to what John is talking about a little bit. John is talking about the hour that's upon them that they would know it's the hour by the Spirit that's in them. By the anointing that's in them, they know the hour. And this goes back to Jesus too. He said, he said when the, you, you know, he said they're going to lead you in front of what the synagogues. They're going to bring you in front of the council. And he said you don't need to even think of what you're going to say. Why? Because the Spirit, and I'm not quoting just right, but it'll be given to you of God what to say. Now, what was going on in John's days? Anybody know? If you go back in history, and, I, and Rome was in power. Okay. And, and I, I, I meant to have these outlined. I was looking at the Roman kings, 
and I meant to have them outlined, but uh, Nero was, I believe, the most ruthless of those kings. And when you go back to your, your, your history, and I'm sure we'll get into more and more of this because the, this is what was transpiring in their day was they were under Roman rule and Nero was feeding Christians to the lions. Okay. Killing them, crucifying them, burning them at the stake, doing all sorts of things to Christians. Now, something I read, and again, this, this is toward history, all right? Rome wasn't necessarily, and I read this, and I've heard people say this, but I read this, so I want to clarify it. Rome wasn't necessarily mad at Christians because they were followers of Jesus. Because Rome served all kinds of gods. So they had all kinds of gods. What they were mad at Christians over is they wouldn't recognize Caesar. Now this is what I read, whether it's 100% accurate or not, I'm going to throw it out here at you, that what they wouldn't do is if, if the Christians, I read, read that one of uh, St. Joseph or so, so forth was getting ready to be killed by one of the Romans and he didn't want to kill him. He said, just say Caesar is Lord. And he refused to say Caesar is Lord, so he burned him at the stake. Because they would not bow down to Caesar. So they were losing their lives. Because the Caesar, Caesar was like a god to Rome. In fact, I think it was Julius, I believe it was Julius that they said had become a god, and then his son, I believe it was Julius, but it was one of the Caesars, one of the kings there, his son called himself the son of God. You go back and read history. And he, and he was telling them that he's the only way. <laughs> go back and read it. It's in your history books. Read the, the story of the Romans. Now, there's a lot of interesting uh, things there. And I'm sure, like I said, I could sidetrack in it. And, and, and we'll probably have to because, because it has context to what John is writing. You know, I know he's writing to the church, but the church is in the midst of Rome. And also what's going on here is the old temple is still standing. Before 70 A.D. happened, Herod's temple was standing. And that's very, very important to the story in the time as a hymn. One other place I want to give you, I want to give you more, but time's sake, looking down how much time I've already been, 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we're going to turn to Isaiah, so I've got to start moving. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Or, or 1 Peter 3, verse 1, forgive me. Turn to 1 Peter 3, I don't have time to go through 4 or 2. He says, Peter, 2 Peter 3, forgive me. 2 Peter 3, I'll get it right, 1. This is now, beloved, the second epistle that I write unto you. And in both of them I stir up your sincere mind by putting you in remembrance that you should remember the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Notice what he told them to remember. 
the words spoken by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first, that in the last days mockers shall come with mockery, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? All right. We're going to get into this in more detail, but I'm going to throw it out here. The coming that Peter's looking for, he comes right down here and tells you in a minute. In his day, not saying there's not mockers out here today, there are. But in his day, there were mockers. And they were mocking them speaking of the coming of the Lord. Where is the promise of His coming? For the day that the fathers fell asleep. Now who were the fathers? This is a big deal. To understand what Peter's talking about, the fathers of Judaism would be who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, and so on and so forth. Go down through the line. But all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So since the fathers, since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Everything continues just the way they were. Now, you've got to get a hold of this. Jesus had already come and died. And Peter's saying, there's people here saying, sister, and, he, and he goes back to the fathers. So I, so I have a belief here he may be talking about the Jews. I think he's not talking about some Gentiles too. But they're saying it's just continued just like it did from the beginning. And it happened because Jesus had come, bled, died, and raised from the dead. So, so he goes on, for, for from that day the fathers fell asleep and all things continued like they were from the beginning, beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that there were heavens from of old and the earth compacted out of the water and amidst water by the word of God, by which means the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. Sometimes we try to figure out that first uh, description of the first world. And we forget the flood. Just a thought. Moving on. But the heavens that now are and the earth by the same word have been stored up for fire, being reserved against the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But forget not this one thing, beloved, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to you, word, but wishing that, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. Mark this. Day of the Lord. Very important. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing that those that these things are thus all to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy living and godliness, looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God, by reason of which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and elements shall melt with fervent heat. But according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I wrote a note down, what is the day of the Lord? Turn to Isaiah 63. i got to move or I won't get where I'm going. 63. Start at verse 1. Isaiah 63. 63, 1. 
Is everybody there? Now, who was Isaiah writing to? Now, I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, but then we're going to turn to 63.1. So stay at 63.1. Isaiah 1, verse 1, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah. Notice who, what he saw. It was concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the day, and he saw it in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Isaiah's prophecy were in the days of those four kings. That's why it's important to read your Bible, darling, because he throws out those kings. Well, if I don't go read First Kings and if I don't read Kings and Chronicles, guess what? I probably won't know very much about those kings besides their names. Every now and then thrown at me. But now back to 63. In Isaiah 63, it says, Jesus is speaking of Jesus here. The Spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me because Jehovah hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the year of Jehovah's favor. Am I reading 61? 61, man. I've written 63 in my notes. Man, I'm all messed up, ain't I? Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's what a gift for reading out my notes. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He have anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He have sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound proclaim the year of Jehovah's favor. Stop right here. And, notice this and, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. I'm going to stop here for now. Flip to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. I want to show you something. And this is when Jesus' ministry started. Go back and read it. Jesus had, had just been led and tempted of, of the devil. And here in Luke 4, he comes into Nazareth. And how do I know he came into Nazareth, Kathy? Because it said in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth. That's how I know. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he found Isaiah 61. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recover in sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And then he told him, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. What's missing? There's something missing from what is said in Isaiah. What, Brother Bob? The vengeance. He never said nothing about the vengeance. Well, if we go back to Isaiah 61, which you all rightfully corrected me, right? If we go back there and read, 
He was, Isaiah prophesied, he was anointed to do all these things that we read in Luke 4, but also to declare the vengeance of God. Now we have to go back in our minds to Isaiah 1. The prophecy of Isaiah was to Judah and Jerusalem. You know who Jesus was coming to here? Judah and Jerusalem. Why was he coming to Judah? Because old Israel had been carried away by the Assyrians. Because the kingdom split. Again, you have to go through history. And now what was there, if I understand everything correct, and and I'm sure there's probably some of the old Israelites came in there too, but what was there was Judah, Benjamin, and it would have been what? The Levitical priests in Jerusalem. And there may have been other uh, of the 12 tribes, but you have to study it out and see. Okay? But, so Jesus is Judah, out of Judah, where did Jesus come from? From the tribe, he's the line of what? The tribe of Judah. So why was Judah still around? Because in one, one of the prophecies, it said that, that Judah was as wicked or wickeder than her sister, Israel, because Judah had to bring forth the lion of Judah. Quite still around. Okay. So here is the lion of the tribe of Judah himself, Jesus, coming to Nazareth. And he says, today these scriptures are fulfilled your ears. And so now for the next, let's say, three years or so, he goes around and he preaches good news to the poor. He heals the brokenhearted. He sets to liberty them that are bruised. He, he causes the blind to see. He causes the deaf to hear. He causes the dumb to speak, the lame to walk. All of these signs, miracles, wonders begin to go on in the land. Now, flip to Luke 21. And you can find this also in Matthew 24. And we're going to look at, at places here. But Luke 21... Verse 20. This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Remember I told you something was left out of the prophecy of Isaiah. Well, the vengeance of God was left out, right? So Jesus is telling them, Verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that her desolation is at hand. It's coming right. When you see that, it's coming. All right. See, I, here, I, here I go. Here's what we do with this. Here's what, bless the Lord, we want to get the Jews, a lot of us, to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, some people take up money, let's send them back. But what they want to happen is they're going to get compassed about with armies and they're going to get run over. And we got people wanting to see that right now. They're wanting to see the old temple rebuilt. The Jews come home, compass them about with armies, and run them down.
The problem with that is that already happened. And it's already recorded in her history books. It's already there. All you got to do is pick up your history books and read it. So it already happened. So Jesus tells them when he tells them that are right there and, and the relevant audience that he's talking to. And I'm not telling you it's not for us. It is. Everything he did is for us. But the relevant audience he is speaking to is Jerusalem. He's the lion of who? The tribe of Judah. And he's come to where? Jerusalem. And he's speaking to Jerusalem. And he tells them, he says, When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then know her desolation is at hand. Then let them that are in Judea flee into the mountains, and let them that are in the midst of her depart out, and let not them that are in the country enter therein. For these are the days of vengeance. Now, what did Isaiah prophesy? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's going to proclaim liberty to the poor, and he's going to declare the vengeance of our God. Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem compassed about, these are the days of vengeance. And, and, I, and I'll bring back Isaiah 1, verse 1. The vision that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So see, all this is in context. Not taking it out of context. It's in context. He's speaking to Judah. And he's telling them, when you see this, get out. All right? For these are the day, days of vengeance that all things which are written. How much? All, all things that are written. How much? Read, read this to yourself. May be fulfilled. Well, Brother Wayne, all things can't be fulfilled. <laughs> well, it either it either is is. Or it's going to be. You, you know, one, one or the other. It either is or it's going to be. It's one or the other. Either he's speaking to them, and it was fulfilled when they destroyed the temple, or it's still going to be. Woe unto them that are with child, and them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress upon the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Okay? We, we, we'll probably dive into quite a number of these things in the coming weeks, but I can't dive and jump into all of them. But anyway, here you go. And the next verse, And there shall be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and upon earth distress a nation, and perplexedly for the roaring of the sea and, and billows. What does Peter say in Acts 2? This is that that was spoken of the prophet Joel that in the last days God should pour out his spirit upon all flesh. There shall be signs whereat, in the sun whereat, in the heaven, sun, moon, and stars. Jesus tells them there's going to be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Peter says this is that. That was spoken by Joel that in the last days, the last days of what? The last days of Jerusalem. 
the last days of it, this is going to be poured out, and those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that is for us today, but that was for them there. And here, and here's what's significant. According to, I believe, Josephus, he was a historian during that time. And again, this isn't, isn't your Bible, so I'm careful and I want to reference that. Josephus wrote, the Christians left. They left Jerusalem. Jesus told them, when you see Jerusalem can pass with armies, get out. According to history, guess what they did? They got out. You can go read it. You can go look it up on the Internet. You can go to your uh, encyclopedias, however you want to do it. You can see that they left. Because it was getting ready to be trodden down of the Gentiles of Rome. Now, flip over to Matthew 23. See, here's the days of vengeance that, that, that the Bible's speaking of that time when Jerusalem's getting ready to be destroyed, Matthew 23. And, and if you read Matthew 23, just I am telling you this is correct, but I believe if you count them, I believe. Again, I'm not saying this correct. You'll find seven woes in Matthew 23. You know where else I believe you find seven woes at? Don't you find seven woes in the book of Revelation? Is it seven woes? I believe. We'll see. But there's seven woes in Matthew 23. When he comes down on down here, he says in verse, I don't know, 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. I got you. Even so, you are outwardly appear righteous unto men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and garnish the tombs of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we should not have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye witness to yourself that you are sons of them that slew the prophets. Get all what is old. You're a witness to yourself that you're the sons of them that killed the prophets. You serpents, you offspring of vipers, how shall you escape the judgment of hell? He's speaking directly here to the scribes and Pharisees. Therefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of them you shall kill and crucify. I'm going to stop you here. Who do they kill? Who does Jesus send? Do they kill James with a sword? Do they behead Paul? Do they crucify Peter upside down? And see, this goes right hand in hand in the book of Revelation where, where, it, where the Bible speaks of those the, uh, souls under the altar and it says to wait patiently until your brethren are killed. Because here, here you go. Jesus is sending out the apostles, the disciples, and... Who's going to kill them? 
Now some of them are killed by Rome, but the Jews, the Pharisees, who's not going to believe them? Right here. And he, and he says to them, he says, some of them you should crucify and some of them you should scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Did they not stone Paul in, in places? Is Paul not uh, beat? Is he not shipwrecked? Is he not? Go, go read the history of Paul. Anyway, that upon you, that generation right there, he says that upon you might come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of Abel the righteous unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the sanctuary and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Old Jerusalem. And then, then to even, even cement it further. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto her. What, what happened to Stephen? They stoned him. How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Go on into chapter 24. And, I love this, and Jesus went out from the temple. So where was he at when he was telling them this? He was in the temple. And he left the temple. And going out on his way, his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And he answered them and said, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. These are the days of vengeance. This is what he's speaking of. The vision Isaiah had concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. So Jesus is now declaring the day of vengeance to them that is coming upon them. This is what I believe Peter is writing when he says it's going to be destroyed with fervent heat. Now people... People say he's writing. Many people say he's writing about the natural earth someday is getting destroyed with perfect heat. I believe he's actually writing here because when Peter wrote his epistle, guess what hadn't happened? It hadn't happened. It hadn't been destroyed. That temple was still standing. See, have you ever thought about it that after the apostles, the, the scripture quit being write, written? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered that? That the apostles stopped writing. Why? Why don't we write more scripture today? Because it was done. God ain't working that way anymore. It was complete. And he was working that way until all of this was taken away. And we'll have to do another service just on this. And then and then move on. But he he would the apostles wrote the last letters I believe like I said some people say John wrote some of his letters after but I don't believe that's the case the apostles wrote the last letters before the temple was destroyed and I believe you can trace it back to where Daniel said still up the vision because once they wrote it it was sealed 
It was done. It was finished. And then when Jerusalem was destroyed, it was taken off of the face of the earth to never be the place of worship again. Just like Jesus told the woman at the well. And she told him, said, we worship in this mountain. You worship God in Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem is a true place of worship. And the true God, I'm paraphrasing, but the true God is from Jerusalem. But he said, now is the time. I'm here. And now is the time where the true worshiper shall worship the Father we're at. In spirit and in truth. He said, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Now, I'm careful how I say this because there may be some historical significance. If someone said, Brother Wayne, you want to go to Jerusalem, I may would go. But I wouldn't go with the understanding that I'm going to get closer to God because I went to Jerusalem. I wouldn't go with that understanding. Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father, for God is a spirit and seeks those to worship Him spirit truth. So a new place of worship was coming on the earth. And I believe, and it's in Hebrews, I believe, chapter 9, it says that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first was still standing. The first that was still standing was the first, the first temple. Now that wasn't the first temple, because the first one, but it was the first order of worship was still standing, which was that temple that they went to and worshipped. That was standing when, when Hebrews was written. And, we, and sometimes we don't understand that the way to the holiest of all is through the Spirit, not through temple worship. And see, the book of Hebrews is a book that is, that is continually moving the minds of people, the Hebrews, out of temple worship into Jesus Christ as your great high priest. Have you ever, have you ever got a hold of that? It's, it's this comparing over and over the old and the new. The old and the new. You've not come to blackness. You've not come to Sinai. But you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. You've not come to the uh, Levitical priesthood. But you've come to the Melchizedek priesthood. That whole book is doing that transition. And see, see so you say, why, why is it important that we understand these things? What's the significance? Because we have our minds and hearts still filled with old. And we're trying to bring old forth when God has brought us into a new man, new creation. But until our minds are renewed, see, see this is why this is important. We don't understand why all this is important. Why, why even understand this? Well, why did he write it? If he didn't want you to understand it, why did he write it? I know, I, I know it was written through men, but why did God ordain it to be written if He didn't want us to study it and understand it? Because that, that we're going to renew our minds. I know it all is through the Spirit of the Lord, but He's going to take His Word. And we're going to get in the Word of God, 
And through the Word of God, there's that transition that's going to get in our hearts. See, this is why it's relevant to you. See, some people say, well, this is all just history. And, and when I hear that, I want to go, hmm. I, I believe it's historical, yes. But I almost want to go, hmm. No, no, no. It's relevant to you because it's moving you out of an understanding of an old creation and into an understanding of a new creation. That's why it's relevant. And that's what's necessary. And we here, I mean, I mean, I mean, brethren, some of you are in strong meat already. So we should have probably tackled this a long time ago, but for some reason, I, you know, at least with me, I didn't feel the liberty to do it. I, I, and you can turn me off, Dave, but I'm going to speak to the body here for a moment.